0: everybody. Sean Hamill here with another episode of Origins. Uh, have a, gosh, you're, you're a jack of all trades. I mean, you really don't have one thing that you do. You kind of do everything. Uh, but Steve Parker with Profitable Dentist Magazine. Steve, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's good to see you. It's good to see the background, too, with all the, uh, the covers of the magazine behind
1: you. Sean, thank you. Um, yeah, we do. We actually have um, our offices spread way out. So I don't know, two or three or four years ago, we moved and I said, you know, instead of putting art up, let's put some covers up. So we have about 36 years worth of covers. Um, You, you know, if we did a walk around, you would see every uh, hallway, every meeting room looks like these are the, usually the newest ones, but there might be, there's probably a hundred hanging around the office just like this. So yeah, it reminds us what we do every day.
0: That's awesome, and I really appreciated the opportunity of getting to meet you earlier this year uh in Kentucky. We were at Dr. Larkin's event. Uh, me and my good buddy Chris Phelps were hanging out, and, and it was really great to get to connect with you. And then, you know, talking to Paula, talking to you, all the overlap that you kind of find when you, when you meet new people in dental. You guys have three hundred, four hundred connections you didn't, didn't realize or know about. Mm-hmm. Um, Dentistry is huge, but it's tiny, as as everybody knows. But Uh, It's just been really great to learn more about what you guys are doing, and obviously you with your past, and like I just kind of gave you the quick rundown of where you started in school, then moving into owning a lab, then moving into consulting, and now you have this highly sought after and respected magazine, Profitable Dentist, that you're doing. How did that all come to be? How did you get started in dental? Did you always aspire to have a dental magazine when you were a kid? Like how, How did this all start for you?
1: So Sean, first of all, thanks for having me on. Awesome question. Um, and, and in full transparency, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. So, um, and, and part of that, I'm only, you know, halfway being facetious. I like to do new things. I like to learn new things. Um, I go all in on the things that I do. Um, I have owned, I've never, well, I was about to lie to you. I was an employee for a year and a half one time for a company that I sold to somebody. And part of the deal was, you know, you're an employee. And um, they wanted, you know, they wanted five years. I wanted five minutes and it ended up being a year and a half. And, and not that I didn't um, enjoy it. There's part of me that liked the, just somebody else taking care of everything. Um, But I, think I like that. So, you know, very much like the dental world. You know, a lot of people who are who come in every day and get hammered being a dentist, they think, "Man, wouldn't it be great to work for, you know, this big DSO and just kind of punch in, punch out, make a big bonus at the end of the year and go, you know, watch my kids tennis practice." Um mm-hmm. that's that's a great thing. That's awesome. Uh but there are things that you give up with that and those happen to be the things I like. So, I um um I did a lot of things, owned a lot of different businesses. I owned uh, actually a utility power company. I owned energy storage company. I owned a telecommunications infrastructure company. Um, when I sold that, you know, once you get out of, like, when the giant build-out of um, these things, these are actually, this. you know, this is a radio. This is This is not a phone. This is a radio. And I was around and involved in infrastructure when these, Became hot in the late 1990s. And that was, and we went from building, you know, a thousand sites a year, cell sites a year to building 10,000 a month. And it will wear you out all over the country. So I did that, enjoyed it, learned a lot, literally did things that they still do in the industry today. I invented things. Um, and mostly I invent them because I don't know how to do it. I don't wanna know how to do it, but I know there's gotta be a better way to do it. So I ask a lot of stupid questions and people say, gosh, I don't know why we do it that way. Well, suddenly we do something, we're doing it different. And Verizon has, like there are procedures in telecommunications manuals with my name on them at Verizon, um, which is a joke because I literally can't do anything that's in there. But I helped bring that along. So after that, the natural next progression was dentistry. And course, I sold absolutely. that company. Yeah. I mean, you see the connection. So, um, I sold that company and I had a good friend from college whose wife's a dentist. And he said, you know what you need to do? I, I, I still give him grief about this. He said, you need to start a dental lab. He said, all I know is there, they all seem to be screwed up. Sarah, his wife, Sarah hates them all and they're too much money. And if anybody can get their arms around it, figure it out, it's you. So I spent about, Uh, probably the first year and a half, I bought some dental labs. We aggregated them. You know, I, I used to say, it's like trying to herd cats. Um, Everybody. And it's like the DSOs in the early days, you know, every dentist wants to be a part of this organization as long as they're like the president and CEO. Um, And that was the tough part. And then, you know, some lawsuits came along and dentistry got better and DSOs um, kind of evolved, but I got into it through dental labs and, Where I think it helped me was dentistry is a very unique business. Um, You know, my background is finance and management from Indiana University. Go Hoosiers. Um, (laughs) And I, you know, I had these assumptions when I came into the dental world that dentists kind of understood what they were doing on the business side. I mean, they're dentists for crying out loud. They went to college for eight years. Um, They had to have learned something and they're running their own practice. And what I found out was, uh, they don't, at all. So I would go through this period in the lab where I would have some some doc who had a beautiful practice, great location, is just humming along. Is buying people dinners and lunches, and taking him, you know, the the staff to, I don't know, taking the staff to Bermuda for, a, you know, a, a, some kind of a trip, doing all these things. And they're they're within about 50 cents of bankruptcy. And they would call me in and say, you know, uh, hey, sorry, but I can't pay my lab bill. And I owe you lots and lots and lots and lots of money. So I would say, listen, I, you know, I'm not going to kick you to the curb, but I don't understand it. And let me look under the hood a little bit and figure it out. Um, and there were just so many simple things they were doing. I mean, I, Sean, I, I went into one practice that had 900 grand worth of AR. I mean, it this person gave away a third of their production for three or four years. Um, and just didn't collect on it. And when I said, I don't understand this, they had no idea what I was talking about. I go into practices that the the um office manager had stolen three or four hundred thousand dollars over the last two years. Really simple things that, you know, any first year person at, at IU business school would have learned. But dentists don't. They went to dental school to learn to be a dentist. Came out, and the first thing you do is hire somebody to run the business part, so you can be the dentist. And so, as I, and I knew that if, if they were paying their lab bill, they weren't paying their rent. So next month they're going to pay the rent, and then they're going to skip their lab bill. So I kind of got into consulting that way. Um, I coincidentally live in the same town as Dr. Woody Oaks, who is a legend in dentistry, and if. If you're a dentist over 50 years old, you you used to get our direct mail pieces about every 10 days. We've sold a million or we've given a million hours of CE. We've sold uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of DVDs and CDs and courses like that. And Woody was struggling, number one, with his health. Um, But number two, he was really struggling with this business. Um, still did a lot of DVDs. When I bought the business, we had a warehouse full of CDs and DVDs. Um, we were still printing a magazine that we was we'd lose money on every time we print it. Uh, printing, it might surprise you, printing and mailing is really expensive. Um mm. I mean, it's just it's hard to do. So I came along to help with that. Uh in the meantime, Woody said, Well, let's get my consulting thing back going um we did some some we turned some practices around what i found was the majority of my time was keeping practices out of bankruptcy and it was it was a lot of work and we would literally you know a year later they're right back where they started so you know i knew that took a bigger was a bigger putt than i can make um so i got out of the consulting i am, am have moved everything that we have for the profitable dentist to what we call digital first. So we still do some print. We still do live meetings. Um, we have retired our destined spring break seminar, which is, you know, ironically it's where, uh, Rick Workman decided, got the idea for Heartland sitting on the patio at our Destin spring break seminar. He looked across the room of, and he's told this story many, many, many times. He's a, Dr. Workman is just a good human being. Um, smart guy. Um, He said, I looked across the room at 1,200 dentists who love being dentists, but they hated the business. They hated running their business. And at the time, you know, he only became a dentist because his dad told him that farming is hard. You need a backup plan. And dentistry was his backup plan. And he said, I love doing the business part. Um, He got together, talked to one person. They picked a number and he said, I'll do this. I'll take care of the business of your practice. You pay me a percentage of the growth. And that was Heartland practice number one. So good things came out of those. They just, um, you know, uh, my middle name is Practically Profit. So, you know, if you're going to be profitable, don't do things that lose money. And these big events lose a lot of money for a lot of groups. Uh, Printing magazines lose a lot of money for a lot of organizations that try to print them. So we've evolved to where most of what we do is digital first. We reach a much bigger audience. We can help a lot more dentists with a lot more content. And we can nurture a lot more um, creators, uh, people like yourself, who, you know, if, if it was 20 years ago, Sean, you'd be coming to me, you'd need a budget. I mean, you'd need a lot of budget. Um, you know, you need 20 or 25 grand to even be in the ball game. Now you can do a podcast. You can reach a heck of an audience. We'll share this. Um, you just couldn't do that 10, 15 years ago. So that's kind of how we got here. And and the past three years, you know, we took COVID as an opportunity. Um, it's a good excuse to stop doing things we probably should have stopped doing five years earlier. It was a good excuse to start doing things. That we were going to be doing five years 10 years anyway so it created that opportunity again a lot of hard work condensed amount of time but you know we're we're to the point where these things are starting to take off and we just get a lot of traction know a lot of good people and you know and i love dentistry dentistry is a cottage industry it's small business and i love small business and i love small business owners and i i love to help them get over usually that one little thing they just struggle with. And then suddenly the world changes and they can't understand, you know, what the magic was. And usually it's simpler than they think. So
0: is profitable dentists just kind of a a place for you to amass knowledge around the insufficiency or the inefficiency that you saw in dentists like as a whole? I mean, I I assume doing the consulting, you probably saw the same problems just like when I come in, we typically see the same marketing problems. So is that just you compiling all of them into a magazine? Is that how it started?
1: Yeah, I could, if I wanted to kind of be, uh, you know, uh, uh, smart aleck about it. uh, And most consultants will tell you the same thing. You can look at a practice and I can tell you, I can get, I can tell you four of the five things that are a problem without even walking in the door. Um, They're very, very, very common. So a lot of consultants, that's all they're doing is addressing simple things that, Sean, you, you and I could do. One of my, I, I have five kids. Um, we finally kicked them all out of the house. Um, they're grown. I mean, they're, you know, they, we were thinking of doing it when they were like 14 or 15, but apparently there's rules about that. But all right. of our kids are in their mid to late 20s. And, but um, the, um, you know, the things that they do are very, very, very common, and trying to get that across is the difficult part, but um, dentistry there's just so many common common things, and it's it, again, it's really simple things for maybe you and me. Any one of my kids who went to business school as a freshman could literally tell you what they, they could they could look at a p and l and a balance sheet and talk five minutes with the dentist and say, well, Yeah, this is what's going wrong." And I'm, you know, halfway through my freshman year in Indiana. Now, if you were going so to like a, Ohio State or Michigan, you you probably need to be a senior, maybe a little postgraduate. Wow, Indiana, wow, halfway through your your
0: freshman year. Shots fired. I like it. <laughs> there what you would go. you say? What would you say is the most common thing, or the most detrimental thing, or maybe the easiest thing? That that one question turned into three questions. I apologize, but let's say no. What's the easiest
1: thing that a doctor could know? They hey. Could-
0: I may mean, need a consultant.
1: Yeah, they could. So the number one thing is they can understand that they own the business. That's it. You own this thing, period. So you know if if money's missing, and my my uh, uh, good friend Roy Shelburne will tell you, you know Roy Roy went to jail um, because he was doing um, Medicaid work and his office manager was signing these things and doing them wrong. Well, you know, when the law shows up, they don't say, "Oh, it was her fault." They say, "Oh, it's your fault." And you're the guy who goes to jail. Now he speaks on it and he he has a great business teaching other dentists how to stay out of jail from signing paper work that they don't even understand. Um, employee theft. First thing that most dentists buy is a rubber stamp to give to somebody that they they didn't hire them out of Dental office manager school. They hired him because you know they were running the they were at the front desk at the chiropractor's office, and they were really cute. So now you're going to let them handle your 1.2 million dollars, and you're going to give them a stamp where they can they can just stamp it, you know, stamp a name to it, and you're going to let them pay, you know, credit card bills like the Target bill. I've had offices that were paying four Target bills. I walked in there and I would say, "Why do you have four Target cards?" "Oh, we don't. We just have one to buy," you know things for the office, paper towels, pens, office supplies. And you look and they're spending eight or $10,000 a month at Target on somebody's Target credit cards. It's not the dentist. So as the owner, you need to say, okay, this is my money, my business, it stinks. I'd rather be prepping crowns. Uh, but what I'm what I'm gonna do on Fridays is do simple things. Um, you know, I had a business that ran tens of millions of dollars through it. And um, every Friday, I would get uh, the stack of the mail with invoices. I would pull out checks and I would hand them my CFO and say, bring me the supporting paperwork for this. It could be an invoice. It could be whatever it is. And she had to have it back in about three minutes. I can tell you in your dental office, if you try to do that, your office manager says, that's going to take a lot of time. And I've got this going on and I've got to turn this off and I've got to do all those things. You know, I know some good people in this industry who would tell you you're probably getting stolen from. You're trying to arm's length own your business. And so there are lots show up on time. I had one dentist that would show up about 8.15, you know, just because it took a while. He stopped to get coffee. The staff's taking care of the hygiene patients anyway. And I I said, here's what you're going to do for the next 30 days. You're going to be the first person in and the first person or last person to leave. So if you have a huddle, well, we don't have a huddle. Okay, you're going to have a huddle. You're going to be there at 8 or 745. Even if it's five minutes of who's on the schedule today, start somewhere. He generated $50,000 more production that month and did it for three straight months. That's $50,000 a month just for showing up, being the first person in and owning your business not letting other people take care of it. Because I can tell you, if it blows up, they find another job. You're filing bankruptcy. So there's a lot of details like that that you can tweak. But fundamentally, dentists just weren't taught what owning the business means. They're taught how to do dentistry and basically show up, do dentistry, and everything works out. But they're not taught that you're also the owner. It's a different skill set, different mindset, different approach different things you've got to learn. And if you do that part well, you'll be a great dentist owner, not just a dentist, but you'll be a good dentist owner. So that's that's what I see is probably the number one thing is dentists just don't seem to realize they own it. And if stuff goes bad, if somebody forgets to make those 941 deposits, it, you know they're not coming after the office manager who forgot to do it. They're coming after you and you never even heard of a 941 deposit. You're not even sure what the heck it is, but the IRS now wants eighty-six thousand dollars from you forever. And and you were thrilled that you were, you know, you've made fifty thousand this year. Now you're thirty-four, 35, 36 behind. So that's the stuff I used to see every day in consulting. Every day. And what I would do is fix it, get them out of that, and they'd be right back in it some other way six months or a year later. So So is it is it just a, a lack of, of systems? Uh, a lot of systems, a lot of business systems. It's funny because there are tons of, of, you know, sort of left brain protocol driven clinical systems. Um, and you know, Sean, that's, that's funny. That's a great question because during COVID I would get emails. I mean, there are days I would get hundreds of emails and it would say, my state is going to close down my office. I can only see emergency patients. Um is there a book I can read to, to figure out what to do? Do you have a list, a protocol list? Do you have a D- In fact, I had people that would say, do you have a DVD on how to run my business during a pandemic? Well, no. I mean, <laughs> you know, maybe somebody did one in, when was the Spanish flu, like 1918? Maybe somebody oh did a DVD back then. But the dentist mindset is, okay, if there's a problem, let me pull out the textbook and figure out how to do it. Let me go online and try to figure out how to do it. There wasn't any. So for them to kind of put on their right brain, spatially thinking manager hat um, was very foreign to them. You know, I always say like a, a dentist manages um, uh, by protocol, a, an entrepreneur manages by what's in front of them right now that needs addressed. And it may not be what you planned. It's a difference between planning and strategy. It may not be what you planned at all. And you got to be okay with that. And if you're going to wig out because it's not going according to plan, I promise you in your career at some point, I mean, I don't think we have another pandemic on our hands, but you know, when stuff like that happens, I, I, we started doing, um, I mean, we were having webinars, weekly webinars with two and 3000 docs on. And my message to them was you've got an amazing opportunity here. Yes. It sucks. Uh but, you know, you're getting some uh, PPP money and some things like that. So and you need to, number one, be communicating with your staff because they're more scared than you are. And you need to if you're if you're keeping them on, on payroll and you're you know taking the PPP money, bring them in and do the stuff that for the last five years you said, yeah, we can't really update our software. We just don't have time. Yeah, we can't switch out this piece of equipment. We don't have time. Yeah, we can't, you know, write these systems and protocols. We don't have time. Well, guess what? You have the time. So the ones that came through were the ones who who worked on their business during COVID shutdowns when they couldn't work in their business. So, you know, I know that's a long answer to a little question, but that's, there is no silver bullet in dentistry that, that says do this. And docs really want that. They were trained that way is you know with an implant case or with an endo case, you know, don't use the file more than uh twice. It's that simple. Problem solve, you'll never have any problems with an endo again. As an entrepreneur, man, nothing like that exists. It it just doesn't. So Yeah, well for sure.
0: And and it's 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 kind of how I feel sometimes talking about the story based approach to marketing. Like it's mm-hmm. It's so simple, but it's really hard at the same time. It's really difficult, and sometimes the answer to a doctor's problem is a lot easier than they think. Almost, it's so simple that they yeah. just think, "Well, that, that can't fix it," you know. Um, it's surprising you... to
1: me. They they don't go ahead and ask you a question because I because I, I wanted st- to talk about story based marketing.
0: Yeah, for sure. I was just curious. I mean, you've been doing this for two decades almost. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I know like you'd said, understand that, that you own the business. But if, let's say a new doctor is listening to this and they're you know, moving into a startup or they're doing an acquisition and we have a varied audience of folks, but what would you recommend in terms of, do you have a book or do you have a, a resource that you recommend for somebody to start to get that initial push into the knowledge they need as an entrepreneur? Do you have a favorite book that you recommend?
1: Um, My very favorite book I happen to keep behind me and I would encourage every single prospective dentist and entrepreneur is the E-myth. All right. It basically is the entrepreneur myth. It is, I don't even know when this was written. This one's signed by Michael Gerber. Um, I probably got this in the eighties. 80, 95, 1995. So this basically tells you why entrepreneurs fail. And have you read it?
0: No, it's on it's on my oh, my you know, unending list.
1: Short, sweet, easy. So what happens? Uh, the e myth is, and he talks about a plumber, and he says, you know, you're a um, you, you work for Joe's Plumbing, and you're the best plumber that that Joe has working for him. And you know, you'd like hmm. to make a little more money, and there's people who um, you know they know how good you are. Your buddies at work with you, and what's the first thing they say to you? You should start your own plumbing company. Well, suddenly, right. you start a plumbing company, and in about two years, you're broke, you lost your 401k that you got at Joe's. your wife's mad because your second uh, the second mortgage you took out, that money's gone, and now you're going to go work back for Joe again. You're a really good plumber, but being an entrepreneur requires an entirely different skill set. It requires an entirely different approach, and that's what I see coming out of dental school. Um, In fact, I had um, I speak a lot at dental schools, and in the past two years, I've changed my approach. Uh, In fact, I worked at a couple dental schools with some docs that uh, I was doing the fourth year business program. Okay, because you know I went to Indiana, so I know tons about business. It's awesome. Um, and I said, here's what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about business. Number one, I can't do it justice. And number two, it's so different for everybody in here. But here's what I want to talk about. I want to I want to explain how dentistry evolved. And when, you know, Dr. So-and-so here graduated in 1979, uh, it would be he, because uh, 97% of dentists were he's. He had two options. He could either start his own practice or he could become an associate and be underpaid for three years until he got mad. And, you know, the other the old doc loved it because now he was only working two days a week and this guy wasn't getting paid. That all blows up and he could lose money for 10 years. And that was his career path. Um, I am a big fan of um, I'll just uh, like University of Heartland. I always say, here's what you guys have you can go work for the University of Heartland. Now, Dr. Rick Merkman will give you a big fat paycheck and, in, and he will teach you, he'll give you three years to pay off your student loans. You don't have to worry about finding a patient, hiring a person, figuring out taxes. But if you pay attention while you're there, they will show you how to run a business. Now you can complain about a lot of things about Heartland, but you do not get to be a billion and a half dollar a year organization by sucking. So they're doing Mm -hmm. something right. So pay attention to that. Three years from now, then decide and say, you know what? Like I said, me, I would make a terrible employee. I know I've got very good friends who are dentists who filed bankruptcy twice, work for a DSO with 150 offices. And, you know, brings home, he brings home a million, two a year. um, One of their best practicing docs doesn't worry about a thing. He can work five days if he wants. In fact, I know another guy that worked uh, three days a week, one of them was Saturday, and he brought home a million bucks a year working for a DSO, because everybody wanted to come on Saturday. So So take the time to learn that, because you have that now. Decade, two decades ago, you didn't have that opportunity. Or hook up with some of your dental school friends 53% 53% of which are women now, um, group of you get together and say, you know, hey, why don't we all get together, start, you know, work by, we'll either buy a little practice or group, or we'll start our own thing. We'll hire so-and-so's husband, who's an MBA, to run it. We'll hire so-and-so's wife to be the director of operations. And suddenly we got a six-doc practice that is now we can, you know, worth something and we can exit. You have so many opportunities to find where you fit, work well, and and don't have to learn about it three years from now when you're waking up at three in the morning, you know, in terror and don't know how to find that $86,000 that the IRS wants for these 941s you don't understand. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying that in dental school, let's quit teaching them about how to run business because it's just too much and too little. But teach them that there are career paths that are brand new. I mean, these are they're are career paths in the last five years that didn't even exist. Pick one of those that works with your risk tolerance level, works with your anxiety level, works with your skill level. It has nothing to do with how good a, a dentist you are, but it might have to do with you do not like taking financial risk. And I promise you. You do not want to be an entrepreneur if you're not okay taking some financial risk. So that's what I generally speak on now. That's how I, that's how I approach dental school, my dental school talks. Very cool.
0: So, Steve, what is, what's the future look like for you? What's what's the future of Profitable Dentists? What are, you, what are you working
1: on? How can people get in touch with you? Where can they find you? Um, the, Steve at TheProfitableDentist.com. Um, then I'm usually everywhere there and have two dozen more email addresses, but, uh, the profitabledentist.com is the easiest. Um, again, we're making a big transition to what we call digital first. Um, all I'm really doing is the same thing. I did in telecom, same thing. I did in power, you know, if we keep doing the same thing, we're going to keep getting the same results. So if we want better results, you know, we got to do something different, um, You know, there's also a lot of business adages, you know, you're going to eat or get eaten. Um, You know, if it ain't broke, break it, because if you don't, your competition will. I mean, there's a lot of things that basically for me are, if if you want to come in and do the same thing every day, you need to be an employee. So part of what's inherent being an entrepreneur is saying, man, I lose my butt every time I print a magazine. I'm not going to not print the magazine you know, one of the things I didn't want to do is watch my magazine get thinner and thinner and thinner and have less content, but more advertisers because I need the advertisers to pay to print it and mail it. Um, I didn't want to watch my events get smaller and smaller and smaller, lose money on every one of those because it's unpredictable who shows up or not. So we're experimenting with what we're doing next. And, you know, we did that 30 years ago. We did the first private dental event and gave the first private CE. It used to be you you can only get it from your state or from the ADA. Um, we petitioned uh, ADA and they said, you can't do that. And we said, why not? And Again, they said, well, there's really no reason. So, you know, and I said, right, there's no reason. So how do we work out that private organizations can give CE? So we're doing things like that Um, I will hand it off at some point. Um, I've got a lot of good people. um, And I've been fortunate in my business life that somebody or some organization always bubbles to the top. And I would much rather build that for somebody who wants to take it over as opposed to just selling it to some, you know, some big corporation that just can write a big check. And we're lucky sure. enough, you know, we uh, not, you know, everybody needs money and everybody likes money, but we're lucky enough that, uh, you know, I could afford, um, we still own dental labs and I can tell you, there's going to come a point when we sell them and it will be employees. It, it won't be, and then they can do what they want with it. But, you know, they all had a good run. Everybody made a good, a lot of people made a good living. We paid a lot of taxes here in New Albany, Indiana. And, um, so that's, that's what we'll do.
0: That's awesome, that's awesome. well, Steve, I can't thank you enough for being on the show and sharing your your story and take on this whole uh, dental thing everybody's you Everybody's experiences are so unique, and uh, yeah it's cool to see as you continue to solve problems, you just documented them and basically made it massively mm-hmm. available to other doctors um, and just how it stands the test of time in terms of the docs you know twenty years ago that were having issues probably the new docs today are still having the same issues. Same, Um, same, same
1: fundamental issues. They just look a little different.
0: Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Hopefully I'll see you at an event here sooner or later. I hope Um, so. Yeah. (laughs) And check out Profitable Dentist. If you haven't, I'll put all the links in the show description. Steve, thanks again so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Sean.